We have been together um, in this four-week vision series in January. Uh, this is the fourth of four weeks. And what we've been doing is we've been casting a vision for the church that we think, um, we think that is related to Jesus and what his work is, what he is doing in the world. We believe as Christians that Jesus is not just a, a memory or he is not just uh, in our hearts, but that he is actually risen from the dead and he is ascended and he is reigning on the right hand of the throne of God and he is renewing all things. And so we believe that Jesus is at work to renew and that we, even as Third Church, are called into that work. And so we've been exploring what that mean, might mean for us and for our future here at Third. And so three weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus wants to renew each person, each individual transforming them into the likeness of Christ. We looked uh, two weeks ago at how Jesus wants to renew our church, that he has a vision for Christian community. And we looked at that vision. We looked at last week how Jesus is renewing the city and how even the way that we approach our facilities and campus here, that Jesus is doing a work of renewal. And today we are talking about how Jesus renews all things. So in four weeks, we've tried to cover everything in the entire universe. And I think we're going to cover it all today. Um, how do you like that? So would you, would you turn to me, with me, to Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 through 30? We're going to read God's word here today, and would you pray with me as we go to his word? Our Father, we thank you for your mercy and kindness to us. We thank you for giving us your word that is both inspired and anointed and given by our Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would fill me and all of us in our weakness with the Holy Spirit of God, that we would not only hear your word and understand it today, but that we would respond to it with obedience and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given to you in love. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first." Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. For my own personal faith journey, my high school experience was really important to me. I, I went to a great church and a great youth group, and I had a wonderful youth pastor, and I was involved in a, a, a Bible study with some fellow guys, and I went to a summer camp where I learned a whole lot about Jesus and, and, and the Bible. And I was just that kid. I ate it up. You know, I prayed. I had my daily quiet time. I did not smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. You know, I was just, I, I, was, that, I was that kid. You know, that kid. Um, and then when I graduated from high school, I went to this big, scary, secular state university about an hour west of here. And everyone, you know, my youth group leaders laid their hands on me that I would be, you know, saved from the, the, the deviations of the evil one there. Um, and what I found, this is what I found when I got there, is that I began to learn. I was a liberal arts major, and I began to learn lots of different things, and I actually began to pay attention to what I was learning, unlike I had ever done in school before. 
And I began to learn a whole lot of new things, and I began to be exposed to a lot of new ideas, and I began to meet all kinds of new people that I had never met before, people with different backgrounds than I had, and different contexts, different cultures, even different religions. And I began to have almost what I would call, I began to experience deep uh, dissonance with my personal faith and all that I was experiencing. This illustrates it. One occasion, I was sitting in an economics class, and I was sitting in this classroom, and it happened to be the same classroom where a fellowship group that I attended also happened to meet. So I was sitting there listening to this economics professor, and I was thinking about the fact that just a few nights earlier, I had been sitting in that same room with a bunch of other students praising and singing songs to Jesus Christ. And I remember just thinking to myself with this kind of deep pit in my stomach, what does Jesus have to do with economics? What, do, what does the gospel, all this stuff that, I learned, that I've learned all my life, have anything to do with any of these things and any of these new experiences that I'm having? Increasingly, my faith felt irrelevant to me. It felt like it had nothing to say or nothing to do with any of these things and these new experiences that I was having. It seemed to be a world apart. I mean, I know, I thought, I know that I'm going to heaven after I die, but what about before I die? What about life before death, not just after death. What about this whole world that I'm in? And I think many of us have felt that way. Oftentimes, I think our faith as Christians doesn't feel like it has anything to do with anything beyond our personal private soul. And it's like church or faith is like a, a weekend hobby, like, like, you know, golf or fishing. And Monday morning, you just kind of set it aside and get busy in real life in the real world. Have any of you felt that way? Dorothy Sayers says it like this. She says, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of your life? And maybe you felt that way. You know, there's a whole lot of statistics. People love talking about how all of these young people and all these millennials are leaving the church right now. And let me tell you, it is not because young people are not interested in Jesus and it's not because they're interested in spirituality. It is because the Christianity that the church has communicated has so often felt to them irrelevant to the life that they are living in the world. Now, thankfully, I had a mentor in college who began to show me that though my faith was strong, it was incomplete. He began to teach me about what I like to call now the four-chapter gospel, the four-chapter gospel. And I began to realize that my life, what I had learned, I had learned the, the middle two chapters of this story very well. I had learned these two chapters. Chapter two, I had learned about the fall. I learned that I was a sinner. I learned that I was destined for destruction, that I was in need of salvation. I was in need of rescue. I learned that. I knew it well. And I also learned about chapter three of this great biblical story that, that God had sent to me a redeemer in the person of Jesus, that Jesus has lived for me and died for me and risen for me and that trusting in him, he gives me salvation by grace. I had learned these. I knew the middle part of this story very, very well. And this is true. Thanks be to God. This is glorious, right? So what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is not that it's not true. It is not complete. It leaves out two whole chapters, the beginning and the end, that without it, the whole story cannot be understood. You know, I love my mother. She is a, just a delightful woman, and uh, I know some of you know her, but, you know, sometimes she does silly things, and I love you, Mom, if you're watching right now, I love you, okay? Um, <laughs> what I'm about to share does not take away from that, but so growing, growing up, uh, we, every Friday night, we would have a, a family movie night, 
And inevitably, this would happen almost every single week. We would start the movie. Hey, mom, we're starting the movie. Oh, I'll just come in in a second. So she comes in like 15 minutes after the movie starts, like every week. And then we're sitting there watching the movie. She says, oh, who's that? <laughs> mom, that's, that's, that's the hero. That, that, yeah. Oh, who's he kissing? Mom, that's his wife. Or, you know, and you know, we're watching, oh, what's happening? Who is that bad guy? Mom, that... And she would do that in the entire movie because she missed the first 15 minutes. She didn't know what was going on. And then, of course, inevitably, she would get really bored and confused. And so when, about 15 minutes before the movie was over, she would leave. And the next morning at the breakfast table, we sit there and then she goes, so what happened to that girl? <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't understand the movie if you miss the beginning and you miss the end. And so what I began to realize is that, you know, I understood the middle bit really, really well, but you can't understand the full story if you miss the beginning and you miss the end. I had missed the beginning and the end of the gospel. And so this mentor, he began to teach me about those things. He taught me about the beginning. He taught me about creation, something I had knew about but didn't know the implications of it, that God made the world and he made it good, as it says in Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And I began to see that God made humanity to bear his image, the imago Dei, to bear his image and to cultivate and fill and flourish this good world that God had made. And that he took delight in that. And then we see even from the early chapters of Genesis, we see what humans do with this world, that they make art and music, that they cultivate societies and government, that they make families and art, and, and they, they manufacture and build things of architecture, and they spread to different nations and diversify. And all of this happens just in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And I began to see that, oh my goodness, God doesn't just care about the human soul. He cares about everything. That God has a vision for all of the world and all of creation, that he is Lord over all things. And my vision began to grow. And then, of course, we come to chapter 2, the fall, and we realize that this rebellion of humanity has brought sin not just into the heart of every man and woman and child, but has also brought sin into the heart of God's good world. And this is what happens when individual sinners come together and aggregate and create cultures and societies and institutions and systems that the cultures and institutions of the world become invaded with sin and brokenness as well. And so you end up with Situations like this, this little one dying of malnutrition. We live in a world in which there is enough food, literally, for every person on the planet to be richly fed. But it's because of the broken systems and distribution forms of the world that prohibit a little one like this from having a full tummy. Or you see something like this. This is the it's crisis now that we all know so well. Syrians fleeing from the violence of their own government. God created humans to build government that would protect its people and that would especially protect its most vulnerable citizens. But what we see instead is governments actually enacting violence upon its own citizens. And then we see this spreading all over the world that even governments now, or even our own government, as we watch this week, scramble to understand and even resist the protection of the most vulnerable. This is not just individual sin, it is sin that is infiltrates into the systems and the societies of the world. We see this in, in this picture. This is not a third world country. 
This is a picture of a school, Carver Elementary School, that is nine miles from where we sit. Just two or three miles from my own house. We live even in a city in which little children are born through no fault of their own, just simply by the nature of the neighborhood that they are born in and put into a system in which they are essentially destined for failure. Who sinned is the broken systems of the world, the cultures, the institutions that we even inhabit. So it's not just people. It is all things that are broken and fragmented by the curse of sin. But then, of course, when we come to chapter 3 in the biblical story, redemption, we see this glorious thing that Jesus, the Savior, comes not just to save individual souls, but to actually redeem all things, to redeem creation and all that is in it. That he comes not just to get individuals to heaven, but to actually restore and renew God's good and glorious world that in his death he dies not just for personal sin, but for systemic sin. And he rises not just to promise individuals resurrection, but to actually promise to creation, as Romans 8 says, the restoration of all things. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1, which is just glorious. We we open the service with this today. For by Christ, all things were created, created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. What things? All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself some things. No, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Not some things, not most things, not spiritual things, not churchy things, but all things. Jesus is that triumphant, that good, that glorious, that powerful, that he is the triumphant sovereign Lord over all things. And then, of course, we can understand our text this morning from Matthew, where Jesus says, truly, I tell you, what does he say? At the renewal of all things. And he uses that glorious word that we learned just a few weeks ago, at the palingenesia, at the again beginning. He is speaking about the day that he comes with his kingdom to sit on the throne and he restores and redeems all creation. It is the final chapter in that story, what we call the consummation of his work. And we see it at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation or in Isaiah 65. We see the restoration where the curse of sin is lifted and death is banished and tears wiped away and unjust systems made right and broken bodies made whole and abandoned children brought home and polluted oceans made clean and destroyed communities restored and hungry bellies fed and oppression ceased and relationships healed. Behold, Jesus says, Revelation 21, I am making all things new. All things. I love this quote from New Testament scholar Norman Clausen. He says, if the New Testament is right, Christ did not come to pluck souls from an evil and worthless creation. See, that's a two-chapter gospel. And, and, and transport them to an angelic existence. Instead, he came to announce the beginning of the world's renewal. That's the four-chapter gospel. Friends, it changed my life. It can change your life. Your whole life. So what does this mean for us? Uh, It means, I think, that as followers of Jesus, we're called to approach the world differently. This is a glorious vision, but that one that Christians have not often embraced. I think the typical reputation that that Christians have today in how we relate to the world or the culture are words like this. 
that Christians are people who resist the culture, who react or reject the culture. And certainly some of these words are biblical. We are called to resist the devil, as Peter said, or reject evil or react against ungodly dimensions of our culture. We're called to that. But let me tell you, friends, these re-words are not the most important or certainly not the most glorious words in the Bible. Instead, it's words like this, redemption, restoration, resurrection, reconciliation, regeneration, renewal. This is what Jesus is up to in the world. This is what God is doing as he advances his kingdom on the earth. And Jesus now invites anyone to join him in this work of a renewal. So he says in our text today, anyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or field for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He is inviting us into his work of renewal. He is like a, a mother inviting her little one into Uh, the kitchen as she bakes bread or is out in the garden cultivating a harvest. You know, as little children, we don't ultimately create the harvest. We don't create and produce the bread. But Jesus, in his grace, invites us to leave our loyalties behind and to join him in his new work of creation. You see that? And we do this, as Eric said last week, through evangelism, by inviting people to trust in him to join his work, and we also do it through the work of shalom by seeking to bring all creation into alignment with God and his kingdom. So we're called not just to resist or react or reject, but to renew and redeem and restore. We are called together, friends, for the renewal of all things, the renewal of people and hearts and families, the renewal of neighborhoods and cities and institutions, the renewal of industries and the renewal of all things, all things. This is what Jesus is up to in the world. Well, let me just mention as we close this series, just a couple ways that we're going to press into this in the years ahead. We've been talking for the last three weeks about this work of renewal and especially how it has to do with our relationships and the way that we do community here and our relationship to the city. But let me just mention two ways that we are going to press into this work of renewal that Jesus is doing that we haven't talked about yet. The first is this, cultural reconciliation. The American church has succumbed to a two-chapter gospel many times when it comes to race and when it comes to culture. In fact, at the height, you may know this, at the height of the civil rights movement when Dr. Martin Luther King was inviting white Christians and churches to join him in his work, many white Christians, especially many white evangelical Christians, not only did not join but actually actively resisted his work because, they said, the gospel has nothing to do with race relations. The gospel has nothing to do with race relations. You see what the gospel has to do with all things. And when you read the scriptures, you see this so bright and clear. You see in Genesis 1 that God puts his imprint of the Imago Dei on every person of every culture and calls us to protect that image in everyone. We see that he has a vision to gather the nations to himself. We see that in Isaiah. We see that Paul says through Jesus Christ, Jesus has torn down the wall between the ethnos that all might be one in Christ. We see it in Revelation, this picture of every tongue and tribe and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus. Cultural reconciliation is part of that four-chapter gospel. It is something that Jesus is doing in the world. So in the years ahead, we're going to press into this. We're going to grapple with our past and the way that we may have succumbed to this 
two-chapter gospel, and we're going to look at the present and the ways that Richmond is changing, even as new cultures, many new cultures gather, even in the West End of Richmond. Just a few things we'll be doing. We'll be intentionally deepening our relationship with the Christian Arabic church, learning, honestly, learning from them about how they are a people who protect and advocate and care for the refugee and the immigrant among us. We're starting an uh, Antioch residency program that is a, a, a church planting residency program where we're looking for minority church planters who can help us plant churches that are multi-ethnic and in neighborhoods that we historically as a church have not gone. And we'll be continuing to strongly support and give to global mission partners around the world, remembering that we are not just an American church. We are a multinational church, a multinational community extended among our brothers and sisters of all the nations. Jesus is on a mission to renew and reconcile the nations, all cultures of the earth, and he invites us to join him in that work even now. Cultural reconciliation. Second, we're also going to press into this thing that I call vocational stewardship. What does that mean? It means the way that you are stewarding or using your everyday work to join Jesus in his work of renewal. You know, when it comes to what you do on Monday morning, the church has frankly just not done well. I, and I want to apologize for that because I know that we have even contributed that to here. The church often does what I call the suck you in approach. All right, so this is what the church often does. We've got all these people who work in all these different areas during the week. And so what we do is we seek to suck you in. We say, oh, you're an artist? Why don't you come in and paint the, a lamb on the classroom in our kids' room? You know? Oh, you're a businessman? Why don't you come in and, and, and help us with our budget? You can join the board and you know, make things better here. And so you know, we suck people. Oh, you're a teacher? Why don't you come teach Sunday school? You know? Or you're a, you work in the media? Why don't you come help us with our logo? Or, you know? so, so we pull, we suck people into the church to make the church bigger and stronger and better. And let me tell you this. This is the American model, and it has worked for many, many years. And, and frankly, you can have, I mean, you can do this, and you can have the best church. You can have the awesomest church. You can have the church with the most amazing services where people are just flooding to come there. I mean, you can have a church like this that is so awesome, and yet be doing absolutely nothing contributing to the work of renewal that Jesus is doing in the city and the world. Nothing. It's all about the church. Sucking it into the institution of the church. So this is what we're called to do instead, my friends. This is what I think believe Jesus is calling us to do. I've worked hard on this, so you should appreciate these <laughs> flipping arrows. That, Jesus, that we are called to be a sending agency so that whether you are a teacher or a business person or work in architecture or the media or the arts or whatever it may be, that we are a people who are equipping you and empowering you and sending you to join Jesus in his work of renewal in whatever industry in which you serve. And so we're going to be doing that in the coming years. We're going to be looking for ways that we can do that. We're right now exploring many different things. One of the things we're exploring is a fellows program in which we bring in young graduates and give them a theological vision for their vocation so they can contribute to the renewal of Jesus' work in a particular industry. I love this uh, Kuiper quote. He says, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Think about that when you show up to work tomorrow morning. Look around your office. Look around your place of work. Can you say, you might not want to say it out loud, but you say, Jesus cries over this. Mine. How can you contribute to his work of renewal that he is doing in the world? How might you join him in that work? 
He's renewing all things, friends. All things. Let me just say this as I close. All this high and lofty talk of renewal and transformation. You know, some of you I know are excited about this. I look at your faces now and you look excited. Some of you honestly look really overwhelmed because you're like, I can't even put my kid's shoe on in the morning. And you're telling me, I I mean, that's the way I feel. I like, you know, (laughs) it's it's hard. Life's hard, right? (laughs) How how in the world are we supposed to be doing this kind kind of work when we have all these things going on in our lives? Well, let me quote one of my best friends and former colleague, Don Coleman. You know, Don and I used to, we used to work in the inner city together, and we bring in all these very activistic college students who wanted to change the world. And Don used to speak to them, and this is what he would say. He would say, everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to scrub the toilet. Start with the toilet. And I love that. I love what Don said, because Don knows the heart of Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the one who said, Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus is not looking for culture warriors. Jesus is not looking for these triumphant people who are going to change the city through their personal talent and skill. No, Jesus is looking for servants. He's looking for servants who are willing to surrender their life and whatever tiny little piece of influence that Jesus has given you tomorrow whether it be in your home with your kids or in a workplace or whatever it may be, Jesus is looking for those who are fully surrendered to him and are well willing to offer anything and everything for his work in the world. Jesus is the servant. He is the last. He went to death. He went to the cross. He did this. In fact, he is renewing the world even now, but how is he doing it? Not through power and force, but through suffering love. And this is the secret of our power, friends, your power, to be a world renewer is your connection to Jesus, the suffering Savior, letting him daily renew your heart, letting him renew our community week by week so that we not only know Jesus more and more, but we become like him in every area of influence that he has given us. People who give ourselves for the renewing work of Jesus in all things, but who do so as servants. In humility, surrendered fully to Jesus the King, giving ourselves like him in suffering love. That's how Jesus changes the world. May we join him in that work. May it be so for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom all things hold together, As we sang earlier in the service, the Lord's anointed, hail King Jesus. You are the king over our lives and over all things. And we surrender ourselves to you. We repent of the ways that we have succumbed to this privatistic two-chapter gospel that has only a vision for our own personal private lives And we have failed to see the ways that you reign over all things, heaven and earth. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us that we turn in upon ourselves and live for our own little agendas and desires. Have mercy on us, Jesus. You are the king. We pray that you would renew each of our hearts today. That we would be renewed personally. That we would be renewed as a church. That we would join you in the work of renewal that you are doing in our neighborhoods, our city, our world. We pray this. In your great name, amen.